In this episode, I have the extreme pleasure of speaking with Emmanuel Rossi, who's a machine learning researcher at Twitter and a PhD student in Michael Bronstein's lab. We cover quite a bit of ground in the interview, but our main focus is on his scalable inception graph neural networks paper. And this is mainly around addressing the issue of internet scale graphs and how we can apply these GNN methods to them. And through that paper, there's a lot of discussion around graph-based operators, and it gets to the fundamentals of these approaches, and I think it's super enlightening. We also talk about the challenges of applying GNN-based methods to these industrial-scale problems. So I learned a lot from it. I hope you will as well. Before we get there, let me mention I do have a mailing list where I send out updates of content I release across a variety of platforms as well as a Discord server and a Patreon. And I'll have links to all of those things in the description below. Thanks. Emmanuel, thank you for joining. Uh, This is awesome to have you. Really excited for the conversation. I've been reading a lot of your work and uh, just super excited. So thanks for taking the time out of your day. I'm sure you're a busy guy. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, so can you just start by telling us a little bit about you and how you came to be doing research on graphs with someone like a Michael Bronstein and, and working at Twitter and all that stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think basically it kind of all started. I was, I was doing uh, my undergrad was in computer science uh, at Imperial College. And uh, in, in my second year, I, I basically did an internship uh, at Google in uh, in that quarter in Mountain View, but on on completely different stuff. So I was working on, on software engineering, and uh, but there I met uh, another intern uh, was uh, Federico Monti, and then we became uh, you know very good friends. And then I you know he started telling me what he was working on, and it turned out that he was uh, you know a PhD student with uh, with Michael at the time. Uh, working on, you know, um, some of the first genome models. So this was, this was basically uh, four years ago. So it was literally, I think there were like five papers uh, or not even that on the topic. And, uh, but yeah, I was pretty excited. I was pretty excited about that. So basically then I, I, you know, when I went back to Imperial, I started, uh, you know, uh, studying a bit more about machine learning, started, uh, getting involved with uh, some projects with uh, with Federico and Michael. Uh, and then, yeah, that I did my master's in Cambridge, but I kept also in touch with uh, with them. So um, also in Cambridge, there is, you know, a group that works a lot on graphs uh, where, you know, where Petar uh, was. And uh, so I worked, my supervisor for my master thesis there was uh, Pietro Leo, who was also Petar's supervisor. Uh, and also, basically, Michael could supervise my thesis, so we we kept in touch. And my work there was, you know, GNN, but more for applied to uh, biological data, in particular uh, RNA. And uh, and yeah, from there, basically, we we you know uh, we liked a lot working together. And they were kind of they started uh, Fabula, the the startup, basically working on on fake news detection using uh, graph neural networks. And uh, and yeah, still doing the, my masters, 
I, I joined them part time, and uh, and very soon later it was uh, was acquired by Twitter. So we, we were all ex very excited to join uh, all together, join Twitter. So then we basically formed a new a new team inside Twitter, focusing on both kind of research, fundamental research, and some more applied problems around genetics. And, uh, and yeah, so we've been inside Twitter for basically a year and a half. And, uh, and yeah, and now in, in October, I've also managed to start uh, a PhD inside Twitter uh, and in collaboration with Imperial with also Michael as supervisor. Wow, you sound really busy, but uh, also <laughs> like you've been doing a lot of exciting work. So um, you mentioned the fake news detection from Fabula. Are you still working on that problem mainly within Twitter or has it expanded to a more general problem set that uh, these methods are working well for? Yeah, I know we work on, on a lot of different, a lot of different topics. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the, the goal of our team is more in uh, generally trying to apply graph neural networks for a variety of applications of Twitter. So, I mean, fake news is one of them, but as you can imagine, there are multiple. Sure. So are you mainly, is the output of your work predominantly publications or do you uh, integrate with product teams and try to actually build solutions out and put them in production and all that? Where do you lay in that? Yeah, yeah, both. Uh, so we, some of our projects are more theoretical. So it's mainly, you know, uh, the outcome is, you know, it's mainly pure research and publications. And then some other projects are more applied. So we collaborate with some other uh, teams inside Twitter uh, uh, and basically yeah, try to get a model to, to production with their support and uh, you know to have it uh, deployed in, in the app. So one of the obvious challenges of putting these in production is scale. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk more about that. But besides that, are there any other kind of fundamental challenges you've come across that is sort of getting over that gap between a research paper and a model in production? Or is it mainly just solving the scale problem? Yeah, it's scale, but not only, you know, theoretical scaling, but also I think the, the infrastructure uh, plays a very big role. So I think, you know, when you work with graphs, you need uh, specific uh, infrastructure that is kind of different from if you were working with images, especially, you know, if you want to work, you know, at scale in production, have a pipeline and so on. So I think also the infrastructure is, is kind of a very big challenge. Uh, and then, yes, I guess, you know, the difference is that normally when you do research on GNN, you have one uh, kind of one graph that is your data, and then you have to you know do some prediction on it. In in our case, is more like a big part of the of the of time spent on thinking. You know, uh, we have potentially multiple graphs, multiple sources of data, multiple features. You know, what what do we think is the best way to actually uh, combine them, uh, and then you know what should we give as input to our model? Uh, this turns out to be, you know, uh, uh, sometimes a very, very hard question that you, you don't really often face in, in research when, you know, you mainly focus on benchmarks. Right. Yeah, the, the real data is a, a lot more messy. And <laughs> I, I do have some questions later about the different relation types and stuff and how that could fit in. But um, before we get there, the 
the main paper I wanted to dig in today is one that you wrote that's targeting this scalability problem with the uh, Scalable Inception Graph Neural Networks, or assigned paper. Um, can you give us just a high-level overview of the problem it's trying to solve and, and the solution before we dig into the details? Yeah, so uh, the problem, I think, is, you know, we want to do, uh, we want to have graph neural networks that are, are able to operate on, you know, real-world graphs. Uh, so in, in the first few years of, of you know, graph neural network research, I would say, you know, 99.9% uh, .9 of the literature was focused on, um, you know, some toy examples. So, you know, the, the super popular Cora sites here in PubMed datasets, which had, you know, few thousand nodes and, uh, and few tens of thousands of edges, uh, which, you know, were, were great to, to start with, but are not uh, very realistic, right? So in practice, uh, many graphs that you observe in the real world have, you know, millions of nodes, tens of millions or billions, or, you know, uh, if, we, if you think about the graphs we have Twitters, you know, you're going to have hundreds of millions of nodes and hundreds of billions of edges, right? Uh, and, you know, the, main, the the first problem that you encounter is that um, if you take a model like GCN or like Yacht, as they were first implemented, they do not even run on, on these big on these big graphs, uh, just because they the way they, they are trained is by using the whole graph uh, at the same time. Um, so they keep the graph in, in GPU memory. Now each epoch, they, you know, they use the old graph they run the GNN on the old graph and they train on the old graph um, to, to update the parameters. And clearly you cannot store a graph with, you know, a billion edges in, uh, in GPU memory. Uh, and so they don't, they don't know even run. So the first question is actually, you know, how do you, how do you make models that can run on, uh, on these large graphs? And, uh, and then you, you would like them to run very, very quickly. Um, so in order to make them run, there, there, there has been you know, some work previous to our paper on this idea of, of sampling, which is basically, you know, if you think about non-graph machine learning, what you do is, you know, if you have a huge data set, uh, as it always been done, you know, we, we don't train on the whole data set at the same time, but we take, uh, we sample batches, right? So a batch is just a sample of the whole data set and we train maybe on 128 samples at one time, and then we, we throw them away, we pick another 128 and, and, and train on them. Uh, and that works perfectly. The problem with graphs is that, you know, your samples are not independent, right? So if you think about uh, node classification, uh, the nodes are not independent. Um, so it's not like you can just uh, sample node randomly. Also, because you need, you know, you can't classify a node just based on itself, but you need kind of the graph around the around the node to make the prediction, because this is what GNN used, right? So GNN want to aggregate information from the graph, uh, and so it's not trivial. You know, how how do we how can we subsample the graph um, in order to do this kind of mini batch training for for GNNs? Uh, and I would say, you know, the, the first the first work uh, going in that direction was was GraphSage, which was basically just saying, uh, introduce this idea of neighborhood sampling. So basically saying, okay, I'm going to select, 
you know, 128 nodes, uh, which I'm going to compute my loss on. And then for each one of them, you know, completely independently, I'm going to sample their, uh, let's say, two op neighborhood. Right. So this is what you what a GNN needs to make a prediction about my node is just the node of this, uh, the neighborhood of this node. Possibly, you know, if you have a GNN with two layers, you would need would like to have the two op neighborhood. Uh, of course, in many graphs, if you go two op, uh, especially you know in in social networks and so on, the, the two op neighborhood is already almost uh, the whole graph. So you need ways to kind of even some sam subsample the neighborhood. So you can say, okay, I'm just gonna take uh, 50 uh, neighbors for my node, and then for each neighbor, uh, uh, another 50 neighbors. So you kind of have uh, an upper bound on how many how many you know, nodes you're gonna neighbors you're gonna sample. Mm -hmm. um, so GraphSage kind of enabled training on these large graphs. And then there's been a lot of literature on how to improve this sampling with a lot of interesting works. What we did in Sign is we actually uh, we actually showed a way of doing this without sampling at all. So we kind of get away from the sampling, and the way we do that is by moving the you know the graph computation as a pre-processing, uh, which can be done you know very efficiently because you're not you're not limited by your GPU memory, right? So you can do it efficiently on the CPU, uh, but also you can use uh, you can use distributed uh, computation like Spark, and you only need to do it once. Uh, and then your model, you know, training time and an inference time, it just becomes an, an MLP, which is, you know, super fast to train. And so it turns out that this way of doing it is, you know, uh, it's basically faster than, than anything else. Uh, and it works, uh, uh, you know, reasonably well. So in deep learning, we often add expressivity to our networks by stacking layers deeper and deeper. I think you already kind of touched on it, but can you talk about why that's problematic with GNNs and how it affects scalability? Yeah, I mean, it is problematic because basically, if you think about, um, you know, GNN as message passing and, you know, you think about the computational graph for your GNN, uh, if you have a one layer GNN, uh, for each node, you're gonna each node is only gonna receive messages from the the one up neighbors. Um, so you know you can have I don't know 50, 100, maybe a thousand one up neighbors. But in general, you know in most graphs, uh, maybe you know on Twitter there are some users which you know if you are Obama, you have I don't know 120 million followers. But you know in in, in a lot of applications, the one up neighbor is still reasonably uh reasonably small but then as you add uh more layers basically this uh makes it possible to receive messages from farther away in the graph uh and so usually if you are able to run a gen on on the full on on the full graph uh, a gen with uh with k layers aggregates information from the k-hop neighborhood of, of a node. So k-hop neighborhood meaning uh, all the nodes that you can reach with up to k, uh, with, you know, up to distance k from, from the original node. And uh, and you can see how this leads to an, an exponential exp uh, explosion of, uh, of the number of nodes that you have to consider. Because if I start for myself, let's say I have 100 neighbors, and then 
you know, my neighbors, each of them are going to have another 100 neighbors. Uh, and then as you keep going, you know, this number grows very quickly. And, uh, you know, in practice, possibly even more because, you know, on average, there is this famous law that on average, uh, my friends have more friends than I do, right? Because you're going to have some very popular user in, in, your, in your network, uh, in, in your neighborhood. And so, and so, yeah, you have this, this exponential explosion and uh, which makes computation and uh, the computation quite, quite infeasible. Yeah, then I guess on the other hand, uh, maybe you can talk just a second about the oversmoothing thing. And, you know, if you are basically having to get the whole graph as input for messages, then all the features are sort of becoming the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, basically, yeah, I mean, GNNs in, in general, especially on node classification, uh, they tend to work well. Uh, because they do some sort of smoothing. So what you would like to do if you do a you know one layer GNN, you're basically saying uh, something like you know my features are going to be the average of my neighbors, and you know it works it works pretty well because you're able to remove a lot of noise in this way. Um, however, as you're saying, if you if you keep doing this uh, for too long and for you know getting influence from you know neighbors which are very far away. Um, so if you have too, too many of these aggregations and, and averaging, at the end, you basically collapse to, to a situation where pretty much all nodes have uh, very similar features, which are not kind of uh, indicative of, of the nodes anymore. So basically, it's, uh, there have been a lot of papers showing that you know, if you take a, a GCN model uh, in most data sets, two free layers works the best. And then as you keep adding layers, the, the performance like drastically collapse to, to kind of a random guess almost. Um, so yeah, I think you, there is a trade-off that you really want to smooth the signal over the graph because this is what you know, removes the noise that you know, individual nodes may have. But as you, you, know, as you smooth too much, then you, you kind of lose also the signal. So what I really liked about your paper was it just got me thinking about operators and the choices that a practitioner might have at their disposal and, and really thinking about the graph that they're working with and perhaps designing an operator that would suit it well. So your, basically your solution to this problem of not wanting to stack a bunch of layers and in general scalability is that you pre-compute the result of these operators on the node features and then you cache them somewhere and look them up as needed. But since you don't have multiple layers, you don't have to keep um, re-querying the graph, right? So um, within the paper, you talk about a convolution-like operator uh, and a diffusion operator. So can you define that and, and tell us why those are the operators um, that you're focused on here? Like, what do you mean by a convolution-like operator? So in, in this context, I think, you know, convolution and, and diffusion are are used interchangeably. Uh, so convolution-like operator is, it's basically any operator that, uh, you know, you know, it's taking, you know, as, as GNN were kind of emerged from a way to uh, define convolution uh, on the graph, on graphs similarly to how we define on images, right? So on images, you know, uh, convolution has many interpretations, 
but the one that probably was most useful to then move it to to graph neural networks was seeing it as a weighted average of your neighbors. So if you think about um, you know each pixel, so convolution in images, you have this kernel which slides over the image, right? Um, and and the the value after you know the, the value after the convolution of the central pixel is basically going to be an average of the of the adhesion pixels weighted by the the convolution kernel, right? Um, and this is basically also what we do on uh, on graphs. So on graphs, we the new uh, the new feature for a, a given node will be some sort of weighted average of the features of of the neighbors. Um, so basically, when you think about uh, so these convolution operators are just operators that tell you, you know, who are my neighbors and you know what are the weights. Um, so it's basically you know it's some sort of addition symmetrics, right? But it also has these nice links to this nice link to to convolution, I think. And how do these operators help us capture these more sophisticated features without needing to stack layers? Right. So, I mean, so what we what we are given as input is uh, is usually it's like the addition symmetrics, right? Um, so this is uh, this is the graph we have, but then we from the addition symmetrics we need to kind of choose how we how are we gonna use this to then aggregate information in our GNN. Uh, so you know the first approaches. So if you take uh, you know GCN from uh, from Thomas from from Thomas Kiff, basically they have. Uh, a normalized version of the addition symmetrics where you kind of the weight of your of a given neighbor depends on on uh, on is basically one over the square root of its degree and your degree so basically uh it mainly depends on uh, on the degree of the neighbor um and this you know in practice this works very well uh but then clearly, you know, this is, is, is a bit arbitrary. Um, so for instance, if you take graph attention network, the idea there is actually, look, you know, why should we kind of guess these weights? I mean, not guessing, but why should, should we fix these weights? Why should, can, can we just learn these weights? So this is what graph attention network does. Uh, in our case, so, so if you take sign, uh, we, we can't do attention uh, because um, this this is done as a pre-processing step, so it's not something we can learn and have weights, which you need for attention. But to have you know a more general approach, we what we want to do is uh, not to just be kind of stuck with the original addition symmetrics, but also design other operators which may be more more interesting in other in other scenarios. So if you take, for instance, the personalized page rank operator which basically is just running personalized page rank. Uh, so for each node, uh, the, the way you do it is, is basically uh, the same as for, from each node running random walks and saying, you know, how often am I gonna end up in another node, right? Um, so this, you may have a node in the, in the, in the two op, in your two op. So in your addition symmetrics, you will not be connected to that node, but actually if you start uh, having random walks on the graph from a given node, you realize that you end up very, very often 
into this other node, which is in the two op. So it probably turns out that that node in the two op is very important to this to the starting node, right? Uh, and and then by by seeing this, by seeing these uh, frequencies with which we end up into nodes, we can then define another diffusion operators where now my kind of is like an addition, uh, different addition symmetrics where where now edges are uh, have weights which are kind of the probabilities to uh, with which I, I end up in these nodes, right? So it's a kind of a a research a richer a research uh, a richer uh, operator in in this sense and. Uh, and yeah, depending on on the on the application, there may be other interesting uh, operators that we want to use. So, for instance, in uh, in social network and complex networks, there have been a lot of research in network science showing that uh, you know motives and you know triangles are very important to uh, to you know make predictions. Uh, and a triangle, uh, it's basically you know when there are three nodes which are all connected to each other. Then we can define this triangle operator, which is basically, you know, uh, the the position i j is just gonna say uh, how often, you know, how many times are it's are node i and node j uh, appearing uh, in a triangle together, right? And uh, and this turn out to be something that is kind of in general very hard to compute for, you know, to, to this kind of information is very hard to extract from. For a GNN, and there is a whole, you know, other section of research investigating, um, you know, how expressive are GNNs. You know, some papers showing that most GNNs, you know, they're not able to compute triangles. Uh, but in this case, we're saying, okay, we can some, we can kind of pre-define and pre-compute some of these fixed operators, which are fixed. So you know, it's not as flexible as potentially, you know, a graph attention network, but they are. They work well in practice for you know different kind of tasks, but most importantly, they are uh, you know they are fixed, and so they they can be computed uh, very very efficiently uh, as a preprocessing step. So basically, um, something like the adjacency matrix is you know the GCN is applying the adjacency matrix right it's essentially in averaging the neighbors, and then you're saying you could go further away by um, for instance, squaring the adjacency matrix, which would right. give you two hops. And then there's these more sophisticated operators that look for particular motifs. So the triangle being how many, um, for instance, in, if it's in a friend graph, how many friends are shared between me and this other node, right? And then that's the count of triangles. Is that right? So you're sort of putting this bias in, um, weighting the connection based on how many shared friends me and a different node might have? Uh, yeah, pretty much. So it's, let me, let me think if it's exactly, uh, so if it's me and you and how many shared friends we have, um, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that, that should be, that should be, yeah, it's basically, yeah, the number of, um, triangles that, two nodes appear together in, right? So if it's me and you, and then, so maybe there is an edge between us, but then uh, there is a lot of other people that are, yeah, they are connected to both of us, right? So yeah, exactly. So yeah, assuming there is an edge between me and you, then we wanna count how many, how many other shared friends we have exactly. Yeah, so you, 
and you're sort of uh, oh go ahead i'm sorry no no yeah i was saying this is it and yeah as you're saying there are yeah two diff two different kind of ideas so one is having different operators so not only the deviation c but also possibly these triangles personalized page rank and so on and the other idea is having the having powers of these operators um and you know interestingly if you if you have an addition c matrix uh, and you take the, the the square of this matrix now it gives you basically uh, information which is also two up away right so my my row in addition c matrix now is also contained in the square of the addition c matrix now also contain weights for nodes which are in uh, in the two up in my graph right uh and but and it also has meaningful weights in the sense that when you square the addition symmetric, if you see this, the addition symmetric, uh, you can see it as a random, pretty much as a random walk matrix. Uh, so then when you square it, it's basically what is the probability, this course that you have in your square addition symmetric is pretty much what is the probability that I'm gonna end up there uh, in, in, two, in, in two steps. And, uh, but in general, if you think about GCN, right? GCN, it's, uh, you have this normalized addition symmetric and then uh, which multiplies the features and, and also some weights, and then you apply nonlinearity. Um, but if you, and then you stack some layers. If you remove the nonlinearity, so if you have an identity there, then you can basically see that this model collapses to just having one single set of weights and one single, uh, you have basically the addition symmetrics multiplied by the number of layers. So let's say, I don't know, K. Uh, and so basically your model is your addition symmetric A to the power K times the feature X times the weights uh, W. And this is basically the model of uh, simplified graph convolution, right? Where they say, right. what if we just remove all the nonlinearities? Well, they showed that it still works very well and it's super fast. Uh, and so also that was a very big inspiration from our paper, right? We just said, look, if, if you have to compute uh, A to the K, uh, why not also, and by the way, the way you, you never compute A to the K um, explicitly because it's uh, very, very expensive. What you do is you multiply A by X and then you take this and you multiply it by A again and you keep multiplying A, which is a sparse, ma sparse matrix by this dense matrix, um, so, which is more efficient. So what we just said, what we thought is since you already do this computation, why not keep also all the intermediate intermediary results? So not just AK to the X, but also why don't we keep AK minus one to the X, AK minus two to the X, and also, so, and starting from, you know, and this basically brings us to having, thinking of concatenating just X, which would be, you know, the identity operator times the features, but it's basically just the features. And then, you know, AX, which is, one, um, you know, the normal efficiency matrix and then different powers, uh, which is same complexity as simplified graph convolution, but you have more operators, which, you know, arguably gives you more, a bit more expressivity. And then we can do this trick also for other operators, which is the kind of the, the topic we, we just discussed before. So if I understand it, you basically say, hey, I have this handful of operators, five, let's say, and some might be powers of the adjacency matrix, some might be other things, but I pre-compute them on the, the features of the nodes, and then I concatenate everything together, and I do a logistic regression on top of that, and I'm done. 
Is that basically it? Pretty much. Uh, you, what you may actually want to do is not just a logistic regression. You may want to have uh, some something deeper, uh, so an MLP with, uh, with some some layers, just because you know you you want to have that expressivity. That uh, depending on your features, your features may not be linearly separable, right? So you may want to have some layers uh, after that, but it would just be yeah an MLP, right? Is not still you don't have the graph so it's basically a uh, few, few fully connected layers and you know in practice we see in many many data sets that having um three four layers instead of having you know one layer um of just mlp so you know is is unrelated to the, to the you know uh, how far you look in the graph so just mm -hmm. the mlp having three four layers works much better than just having you know one or two layers so um how do you actually find the right operators for your problem? Is this just basically another hyperparameter to search over, or is there some more kind of networky science fundamental way to go about analyzing your graph and saying, oh, well, maybe um, I see this attribute of my graph, so I should explore this type of operator? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, so at this moment, I think, yeah, there is no kind of easy way. Uh, I think it's kind of domain specific. So, you know, uh, in you know, in, in network science, uh, there is all this literature on complex networks and social networks, saying that you know, triangles and, and clicks and these kind of motifs are very important. Uh, and so you you know you you can have a guess that these would be good operators, right? Uh, if you if you work with chemical data, uh, with, with molecules and so on, uh, you, I guess you, you're gonna need to think about that specific domain and think about some operators. Uh, but in general, yeah, you, you can kind of uh, try different so bunch of a bunch of them and, and see what works. But I guess, yeah, knowing your, your domain and, uh, and maybe seeing what, you know, kind of the more traditional um, network science uh, literature has done is, is a good way. So um, I, I've been working on fraud detection problems and um, I, I'm wondering how this would work in the context of an evolving graph, right? Because the things I'm wanting to evaluate are kind of new nodes to the graph. And I know you have a whole line of work on temporal graph networks, which explicitly is um, handling these dynamic graphs. But in this case where you're trying to put a sign-based model into production, is there a way to kind of update these operators in an offline batch job without recomputing them from scratch? Or is it really that if you add a new node into the graph, you need to recompute all of the operators and then feed that in at prediction time? Yeah, yeah, this is a good point. So this is kind of probably one of the, maybe one of the weaknesses of, of the method as it stands. Uh, you, you can think of you know heuristics that you could use, but I think in general you know you, you yeah you would need to um, you would need to recompute the operators. So for something which is uh, yeah, I mean it, it, you know it works very well if you if you say you know I want to have a weekly. Uh, you know, weekly update. So you, you know, you just have to recompute these things weekly. You know, no problem because you're 
your computation is you know it's gonna you can probably also daily because your computation is not gonna take that long because you can distribute it and so on if you need things real time then yes probably it's it's a bit of a of a drawback of the method uh i think yeah you you can come up with heuristics uh so you can say okay i have a new node that i didn't have before certainly you can have the addition you know the, the addition symmetrics for that node so basically uh but you it wouldn't be, you know, uh, very easily incorporated into the methods. I think you can can think of some acts, but yeah, the method is not doesn't you know is not very suitable for this kind of uh, for this kind of applications, unfortunately. Yeah, I didn't know if there would be kind of simple incrementing updates that you could do to these values. That maybe someone's worked out the math on that, but it sounds like if there is those simple equations, it's not sort of easy to find. Um, yeah, I mean, the issue is that you need to. I mean, in theory, uh, if you just add a node, or I mean, adding a node is is even a, a more complex case, right? Because you need to add a row and a column to all the matrices. But even you know, if you want to think about the, the simpler case, even you know, you have a new edge. Um, if you just have a new edge, these potentially, these can change. All, all the matrices in in potentially in you know, a lot of places, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not one entry in the matrix, but potentially it can affect, uh, especially for higher order operator, right? Which you look for in the graph. This can have uh, an effect which is very far away. Then what you could say is you can say, of course, you know, an, an edge maybe, you know, I can approximate it to only recompute maybe, you know, the score from. Uh, for the nodes that it connect, or maybe the neighbors, because you know the effect that it's going to have on the far away in the graph is going to be very, very small. So I can approximate it to zero, or you could even say, look, it's just one edge. So the edge you can even ignore it because it's not going to make a huge, a huge difference depending on the task, right? If you have a new node, then it's it's more complex because it's uh, you could say what you could do is if you have a new node, you say, okay, I'm going to just compute the operators, but only for this node. So I'm going to keep the, the, the operator for all other nodes fixed, which is an approximation is not correct because this node is also going to influence their operators. Um, but I will just kind of compute the new row for this node. Uh, but also um, it's it's probably not, you know, not super efficient because um, I mean, if you want to compute the, the the power of its adjacency vector, you still need to multiply by the adjacency matrix. So it's yeah, it's kind of an expensive uh, procedure, let's say. So how do you solve this in temporal graph networks, where you're explicitly designing a mechanism for handling these evolving graphs that are adding nodes and, and edges and stuff? How do you handle that with the various matrices involved? Yeah. So what we do there is, is uh, I think the difference is that we we don't really have uh, pre-computation. Uh, so it's more similar to like a standard gen uh, with kind of uh, sampling if needed, uh, which I think it's important to have your model really inductive uh, in the sense that is able to handle new nodes. Uh, and and so basically there, what you can do is if if a new node comes. 
Uh, in TGN, we have this kind of memory uh, vector, which is just kind of a summary of the history of the of a given node so far. Um, so basically, it summarizes all the interactions that the node had in the past. Um, so if a new node comes, we just have to you know create one more memory and we initialize it to zero, and then we are just gonna do um, when we do our GNN to compute the embedding of this node, we just do it on um, similarly to you know I was introducing graph sage, we do it on the fly. So we kind of sample the the neighborhood of this node. So if this new node appeared, then it, let's say uh, it um, created three four edges. So now it has three four edges to node nodes that were already in our graph. Then we can just sample this new this new neighborhood. So we sample, you know, this node that we want to make a prediction on. We take its neighbors, the neighbors of the neighbors, and then we can just have this, uh, let's say, this uh, this tree, and uh, we we run our JNN on it and make a prediction on on the original node. Um, so it has this inductive capability because the, the convolution is done on the fly, very similarly to the to the graph sage paper. Got it. That makes sense. So, of course, with also you know with uh, also taking care of the of the time. So time is an important component in you know knowing how to wait your neighbors and how to update your memory, which is you know what makes it different from you know what makes it temporal. Right, and we should point out you have uh, given some talks on this that are available. So if, if the people are interested in digging deeper into temporal graph networks, there's plenty of good stuff out there. Um, so what is occupying most of your time these days? Is it the temporal graph networks or is it a new line of work or what do you what are you focused on? Yeah, actually right now I would say my, my focus is mainly on uh, on working on temporal graphs. So I think it's a uh, very exciting moment, but also it's kind of uh, very early days uh, and there is still a lot of things that needs to be figured out. Uh, so, for instance, there is a kind of a very big lack of uh, of data sets of good benchmarks, I think, uh, especially for different tasks. So the the data sets that that there are quite a, quite specific for you know specific tasks and also kind of specific scenarios. Uh, so it would be nice to have you know a bigger variety of data sets which are you know which are large, which are hard. And I think we are we're not there yet. So I'm kind of also looking into trying to create some more data sets. And um, but in general, yeah, I think, you know, there are so many problems which which can be seen as as, uh, you know, temporal graphs. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying to, to focus on this direction now. So where do you think GNNs are going to be having the most impact in the next five years or so based on your experience and seeing kind of the landscape of problems at a place like Twitter, where do you see them having just a ton of success? Yeah, I think in five years, uh, they're going to be, they're going to have a lot of success in for sure in, you know, in, in industry, in, you know, in recommendation and in finding, for instance, you know, bad actors, on, uh, on platforms of so spam, abuse, these kind of things. I think GNNs are very well suited to that. Uh, I think they are also uh, they're also going to have a big impact in um, 
in kind of uh, chemistry slash biology. So working with molecules, uh, so, you know, drug design or drug uh, repurposing um that you know stuff i haven't really i haven't really worked directly on a lot but i i always find interesting reading about uh michael also has done you know is, is doing some work on this uh and yeah i think i think there you know could be it's is is a very natural tool to model you know if you have a, if you have a molecule it looks pretty pretty natural to model it using a gnn and there starts being a lot of data and and the problem are very very important right so if you can if you can find new new drugs in uh, in a much faster time span than it was done before i think that that can have a huge impact on society yeah for sure so my experience is somewhat similar to yours that I, i'm at aws and have worked on fraud but they're probably similar in terms of scale although yours is i'm sure larger but um I see dynamic graphs as being kind of the norm in these industrial applications, at least for things like fraud detection um, and, and fake news and all that stuff. Uh, and I also see how scalability is really important. I'm wondering if there's other fundamental challenges aside from the dynamic and scalable features that, that you think are kind of a challenge to this wider adoption. Uh, you mean for... In, in particular for applications yeah like what's uh what would stop a company for instance from putting a gnn in, in production if we ignore for a moment the questions of scalability and, and handling dynamic graphs are there any other fundamental issues that need to be addressed or are those kind of the two big ones yeah i think um as i was mentioning at the start i think the infrastructure can be can be can be tough uh, because probably you know if you want to deploy a GNN uh, Python geometric is not going to be is not going to be enough even though you know it's it's an incredible tool for for research uh, but for you know if you want to do deployment uh, you know you, you need a whole different uh, set of frameworks right which are focused on that. So you mean uh, things like uh, to do the neighborhood sampling and to traverse the graph? Exactly. And, yes. Okay. So like exactly to, to do. Yeah, I mean it's it's a whole thing of basically going from data which is you know is not in a CSV, is not on your machine, but it's in some distributed storage. Uh, how do you go from there to to doing you know the right sampling and to you know, to having the right data in your in your GPU machine, um, I think that's still kind of uh, as far as I know, there are not any um, any you know, open source tools for this yet. Uh, so companies clearly, you know, have implemented their own, but uh, as I think for you know, really really widespread adoption, having something like. Uh, you know, for instance, TensorFlow made it very easy to to deploy machine learning models, right? Uh, I think since graphs have some additional complexities, I don't think there is an equivalent for graphs yet, which is you know uh, widely available and you know open source and everything. Yeah, I, um, I've used DGL, which is part of AWS 
there's a service team that, that manages the DGL. And I know they released a distributed version of that, but I'm not familiar enough with it to, to say whether it solves these sorts of scale problems. But it seems like progress is being made, but I don't know. Um, whoops, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure people are working on this. Uh, so I, I don't see it as a blocker, you know, for the for the next five years. But I would say right now, this is probably one, uh, uh, as, you know, a point which is still a bit painful. Um, so great, I would say the tools for doing research on genetics now are like just incredible because yeah, whether you use phytogeometric or use DGL, you can really, you know, do great research with the ability of focusing on on you know your your question, your research question, your problem. And without worrying about all other, you know, data loading or model uh, implementing all the models from scratch, you can literally change one line and, and, you know, have a completely different model and have a completely different data set and so on, which is great. And, you know, it's not, it didn't used to be like that um, two, three years ago. Uh, and I think we're not at that point for, for industrial applications yet for, yeah, for, for deployment. Let's see. Um, so I, I remember reviewing a blog post from Uber Eats, and I, and I talked to one of their scientists there that they had a post about deploying uh, GraphSage in a product recommendation setting. And they did something where it was kind of like a hybrid real time where they'd run these offline batch processes to update node embeddings, which they would then cache and then serve in like a real time uh, setting to like a, uh, a traditional model, like a tree-based model, and just use the, the graph methods as kind of a, a feature extractor. Have you seen things like that operating at scale, or are you actually seeing inference being done where, as we are describing before, you have to kind of query the graph and gather the neighbors and, and do that in real time? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I read the, the Uber Eats uh, post, and... Um, yeah, I mean, this is pretty much what I mean. Like everybody has to kind of find their own solution, right? Because there is no, no kind of uh, widely agreed and uh, an available uh, solution. Uh, so I think, uh, I mean, this is a solution, but you know, probably the, the more ideal solution that you want is to have uh, also at inference time a way to sample uh the neighborhood of nodes and you know and do a you know full genen on, on the nodes that i guess that's the, the end goal and uh if i remember correctly uh at the nearest workshop uh there was there were a few talks by google which also discussed you know their their infrastructure for doing this uh and i think they was was pretty pretty interesting so yeah they they, they had um uh, they had something internal which was which was uh, working quite well for this yeah i'm also seeing uh you know my bias is towards aws services since i work there but there's a neptune is their graph database service and then there's neptune ml which has these dgl models sort of ingrained into the services like a function call so you can just kind of like your sql statement of select average of this column but it would be select the model of this node and it would sort of evaluate it as part of the uh, graph database which i thought was a kind of a clever solution yeah i mean that's that's very cool yeah that's very cool it's, it's not something I, I i saw before to be honest 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty new. I, I think they just announced it a couple months ago. Um, but anyway, what, what are the research groups that you follow that get inspiration from or you just think are doing kind of exciting work right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, Ural Laskovich, uh, Stanford, they have a lot of, uh, a lot of very good people, a lot of very interesting research. Uh, and also, you know, they, they kind of, uh, started the open graph benchmark, which I think it's, uh, you know, super important for, for research on graph neural networks. Uh, that's one. I mean, there are so many. There is, uh, I think, you know, Javier Bresson uh, in Singapore is also doing, you know, very interesting work. Uh, and he, he also gave some great, some great lectures. I think it was for the course from from NYU. Um, one or more basic fun things, and one in uh, on uh, recent uh, developments, which I found super interesting. Uh, but you know, he's also doing some interesting work on uh, combinatorial optimization. I saw they were just organized a workshop uh, in the mm. coming months at UCLA. Um, you know, the were the group in, uh, in 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 Munich, in Tum Munich Tum uh, of uh, of Stefan Gunemann. They also do they also do super interesting work. Uh, Someone you know, other Silla talks which. Um, I, I never, you know, worked directly on, but also some on, uh, they had this paper, you know, um, I, one I liked very much about, you know, benchmarking genens, which at the time was something, you know, not done very often, but <laughs> was kind of showing that, uh, when evaluated fairly, most of them perform, uh, very similarly in GCN, which was, uh, uh, you know, very simple compared to, you know, all the models developed later was kind of performing the best very often. Uh, Even uh, so, label propagation. So yeah, this, this, sorry? Is that the ones that showed that even kind of the simple label propagation worked uh, as well or better than GNNs on most of the, the open data sets? Uh, I think that was, no, there was a more recent ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, that And they, they got the leaderboard on most of OGB, on, on OGB data sets. Um, that, that was also a very interesting paper. Uh, but no, the one I refer to is a, is a bit older, probably two two years mm. plus ago, uh, just purely about benchmarking. Uh, but also, yeah, also labor progression uh, was very interesting. Um, I also follow, you know, uh, Petter, which is which is also a good friend. Uh, I still have to watch uh, the talk he gave um, a oh, couple okay. of days ago in, uh, Cambridge. in Cambridge, which yeah. was uh, I saw it was very well received. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, but I mean, yeah, there are, there are others as well, which, uh, I mean, there are, yeah, research coming out of so many, so many places. Um, and, uh, I mean, of course, uh, a lot of things from, uh, yeah, in general, from, from DeepMind clearly, sure. um, yeah, also, I yeah, Bataya there is doing some interesting work with GNNs on, on physics, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I got to talk to one of them about their um, particle physics simulators from graph networks. It was really cool. Uh, but the other thing that strikes me is how a lot of the people you're talking about are putting content out there and, and talking to people like me and, and just 
letting the broader community hear their insights. And I think that's super cool. And, and one of the things I've noticed was the blog series that Michael Bronstein has put out. And I know you've written some of those and, and have one out on the Temporal Graph Network. So that that's just super cool. Thank you guys for doing that. Where else can people find you and, and get content? Or I don't know if you tweet a lot or what do you have out there on the internet that people can follow? Yeah, I'm, let's say, reasonably active on, on Twitter. Uh, maybe not not uh, daily or weekly, but uh, bi-weekly, let's say. Uh, and I also have a, I have a website where I, I have some of the slides of my past presentations um, and a uh, couple, of, couple of more uh, things about myself, um, which is just my name uh, and my surname.co.uk. And, uh, yeah, so I would say that's pretty much it. Cool. I'll put a link in the description, of course. Well, stick around for a second. I'll wrap up the recording, but I wanted to pick your brain on one more thing. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. It's, it's already been an hour. It flew by for me. And uh, Thank you. No, it was, it was great.